David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I'm not David Spada, so I think that means I'm Elliot Harris. Dave's out working, chasing ambulances or whatever lawyers do. That said, we still have a great show today. We have a Playboy Playmate coming up in the second part. The first part we have with Chicago Bears Pro Football Hall of Famer Dan Hampton, who once upon a time was an Arkansas Razorback. So let's go directly to our conversation with Dan Hampton. You know, uh, the last year, the Razorbacks, they played pretty well. Uh, created an awful lot of fan enthusiasm. I can't remember. You know, I, I was lucky. I got to play at a time in the late 70s when, you know, we had Jimmy Johnson was our defense coordinator under Frank Rawls, and then we got Lou Holtz. We won the Orange Bowl. It, it was a great time to be a Razorback football player. And uh, and it was almost like the same thing, you know. Uh, 30-some-odd years later, it, it was a, a, a groundswell. Everybody wanted to talk about the Hogs and this and that. And then, you know, i got to tell you, obviously, uh, you know, what happened with Bobby Petrino and then the – the, the the team falling apart uh, this year it's 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 been a blow to the gut uh, the uh, the fans of Arkansas it, and like I said it uh, uh, it seemed like it was going to be such a great and promising year and man <laughs> not so much it's been a implosion when you were recruited did Frank Boyles ever go into a, a home in Arkansas and not get the guy he wanted Frank Rolls no he was like. He was an iconic figure. You know, this is back when the Razorbacks, uh, you know, that was the only uh, game in town. And, and anything to do with the Razorbacks, uh, you know, it was uh, bigger than life. And so when Frank Rolls showed up at my house, my little, you know, modest home with my mom, and and I saw, and he was sitting on the couch, and I, I got to tell you, it was uh, it was a big deal for us. But, uh, I, I, you know, like I said, Frank Rolls was – he was bigger than uh, bigger than in the, the governor of the state of Arkansas at that time. And then you had, like you said, Jimmy Johnson's your defensive coordinator the first couple of years, and then you go from there to Buddy Ryan with the Bears. I mean, you had some of the best defensive minds around. Yeah, and, and here's the one I didn't mention. Under Lou Holtz, Monty Kiffin was our defensive coordinator. Obviously, Monty Kiffin uh, uh, has made a name for himself in both college and pro football over the last 25, 30 years. And, you know, I used to tell people, I said, if I would have had coaching worth a damn, I could have done something. But, I, you know, I just, everywhere I looked, i, I got to tell you, I'm the most fortunate guy in the world. I had Hall of Fame coaches up and down the, uh, the aisle on my, um, on my way down my career. And I can't tell you, uh, you know, which one meant the most. But I, I'll tell you this, they all were huge. And in their own special way, they were, they were, uh, amazing to play for. I mean, like Lou Holtz, 
made young people's mind understand, hey, you're just not an 18-year-old kid. You've got a whole life ahead of you. You need to start thinking about bigger things and the team and, and winning and, and building your, your, your life, your career, and all those things. And Jimmy Johnson talking about the, the, the little techniques that kept me in the NFL uh, long after I couldn't run and, and you know play the way that I once did. So each and every one was special to me. Now, when Holtz came in at Arkansas, I assume you knew who he was from having uh, appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson when he, that one season when he was with the Jets. How, how was well, his personality compared to Frank Broyles's? Well, I didn't really watch Johnny Carson in college, but I, and I didn't know that he was on uh, on uh, Johnny Carson until after we won the Super Bowl. Or excuse me, the Orange Bowl, my junior year, and then it became like a household word. You know, uh, you know, a phrase, Lou Holtz, uh, you know, the head coach of the University of Arkansas. And he had all those great one-liners, like, how did you decide who would start? He said, I told him we're playing the number one team in America. They have five All-Americans. Uh, everybody that's played them has been beaten 50 to nothing. And he said, the last 11 out of the locker room have to play. So, <laughs> you know, all those crazy things. But Lou, Lou showed up uh, after being – Either canned or quit, you know, quitting the uh, the New York Jets. And on one hand, you know, you, you, you as a football player, you never quit, you never say die, you never. And here's a guy that things didn't work out, and blah blah blah. And you know, I we knew that he he ha- had credentials. We knew that he uh, well until he, you know, he it took, didn't take long after a day or two uh, being around him. You knew. You know, he had a plan. He knew what they wanted, and this is what we're doing. And from the from the get go, I mean, we were all on board. But uh, when I heard the rumor that he was hired, I wasn't that impressed. I think a lot of people realize that Jimmy Johnson wanted a head job, but Frank Rolls didn't think he was ready and said, "No, I'm not going to hire you. I don't promote an assistant." Uh, obviously, Jimmy proved that, that that little uh, scenario incorrect. He went on to Oklahoma State, then Pittsburgh, and then uh, University of Miami, won a national championship, went to Dallas, I think won two uh, Super Bowls. So we were all kind of hoping Jimmy would get the job. Jimmy had played for the Razorbacks, you know, 12, 15 years earlier than this, and he was uh, he was a hog. He was, a, you know, Barry, Barry Switzer and, and Jerry Jones were the two offensive guards, and, and Jimmy was a nose tackle on the 63 national championship team that the Razorbacks had. So at first we were a little, you know, reluctant to embrace Lou Holtz, but it didn't take long for him to win you over. I mean, he had, he had a, uh, he had a hell of a sell stitch and, you know, it worked. We came within one play of winning the national championship. The team that was five, five and one in disarray, lost a bunch of players to the NFL. We came within one play of winning the national championship. One play against Texas is the only loss we had, and we were leading to the last seconds of the game, and Earl Campbell ran a screen pass 75 yards, and he had never caught a pass before or since, and we weren't prepared. And Anyway, like I said, it was it was a great treat to play for Lou Holtz. I'm sure Steve McMichael never let you forget that. Steve McMichael reminds me almost on a daily uh, uh, scenario that I'd never beat Texas. We won the Southwest Conference twice, and we never beat Texas. Uh, 
but we beat everybody else. But I, I will tell you this. You know, a lot of people want to know about why our Bears defense, the one that Buddy Ryan coached that we built that um, a lot of people say was the greatest defense of all time, why it was so good. And, you know, in baseball they have the, the old credo, good up the middle. Well, I was the 1978 Defensive Player of the Year in the Southwest Conference. Steve McMichael was the 1979 Defensive Player of the Year in the Southwest Conference. And yet, Mike Singletary was the 1980. So, I think, you know, we, we really felt like that was the, the best conference, the best brand of football in America. And we were, we were obviously pretty good players in that conference. And, uh, it, I think it was instrumental in what we were trying to build here in Chicago, and for uh, for a decade, I think we were you know rated the best defense uh, in NFL. Wasn't Brad Shear a member of your team too from Texas? Hey, Brad Shear was the player of the year uh, the year prior to me. But Brad, you know, Brad came with a, a load of knee problems. He had had two or three surgeries. He had three or four while he was, uh, you know, with the Bears. And his career was always cut short by October. We, I always said Brad never brought a coat to Chicago because by October he was always, he was always back in Austin. And, you know, I, I, I'm making light of it. I hated it, but Brad was a Brad was a great college football player. He's the Outland Trophy winner and uh, the Player of the Year in the Southwest Conference. You can't you can't scoff at that. How long did it take you to realize that not only could you play in the NFL, but you could play at an elite level with the success that you enjoyed? You know, it was uh, it was interesting. You know, you never know. I, when I went to college. I was one of the last guys recruited, and after a year or so, I figured out, hey, I can play. And I'll never forget Jimmy Johnston talking about the pro scouts coming to see some of the upperclassmen, but they wanted to see that skinny kid, you know, that was a sophomore, and that was me. And, and so I kind of, I kind of knew that I, you know, and it was all predicated on on hard work. And you know, I worked really hard. I think people have told me over the years, Lou Holtz said, I worked harder than anybody, any kid he ever had. In a way, I had to. You know, my father had died when I was in eighth grade. My mom, you know, went to work, but I mean, it wasn't much. And we, uh, and it was my, it was my venue. It was uh, my vehicle to do something and achieve something. And so I worked real hard. And I had a lot of great teammates, a lot of great help, great coaching, all that. But by the time I got to Chicago, I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about the NFL. Uh, I didn't realize that the pass rush was the ticket. I, in college, it was playing the run because everybody ran the ball. So, anyway, after a little while, I, 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 I didn't have much uh, in the way of pass rush uh, moves, arsenal, whatever you want to call it, early on. But I'll never forget Ted Albrecht, offensive tackle, said, hey, you need to watch Leroy Selman. He's the best in the business. And I went in and watched film one day of him before we played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I went out that, that Sunday, and, and I think I had two or three sacks, and I was a defensive player of the week in the NFC. And and it was kind of like it all kind of poof, crystallized right in my head how to rush the passer. And at that point, uh, I thought I could you know, I thought I could be pretty good. Um 1982, the Pro Football Weekly voted me the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, it was an abbreviated strike, short year of only nine games, I believe. And Don Pearson, our our beloved uh, Pro Football writer here in Chicago, didn't vote for him, but everybody else did. But 
I, by that time, I, I, I kind of figured it out. And, you know, Dale Hopper's a defensive line coach, but he was our guy. Uh, I was on the nose in the, in the 46 defense. Um, it, it, it was a great spot for me. We had a bunch of great players around me, from McMichael to Singletary to Hartenstein to Richard Dent to Otis. I mean, it just, you know, just you know, make a list. But um, I really, really felt like not only did I have a chance to be a, a, a great player, I'll never forget after my second or third year, I was having dinner with Ed Obradovich, and he basically kind of got real kind of quiet and said, you know, Hep, I've played with some Hall of Famers. You can be a Hall of Famer. And I kind of laughed, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, when that day happens, I'll call you. You can induct me. Well, it was kind of a running joke over the years. And, you know, I think from the 83 season on, every off season, I would have to go to the hospital and have knee scopes. And I was under, you know, doctor's orders, no lifting, no running for two months, three months, five months sometimes. Sometimes I'd be on crutches for a couple of months. But, you know, it was one of those deals where these are just more obstacles that I would have to overcome. And, and I'll be the first one to tell you, in 1989, I wasn't the same player I was in 1984 or 1982. But I, old age and treachery, I had kind of figured it out. And, you know, we, I, I knew that where to, to live on the margins and I wouldn't make a bad step. And any pass rush, I, would, I wouldn't, you know, flop and flounder around like a lot of kids today. I, I mean, everything, there was no wasted motion. And... I still was pretty effective, but, you know, going into the Hall of Fame, did I ever think that I would? Did I ever think, uh, you know, in a definitive way, yes, this is what I, no. Did I ever hope to? Did I aspire to, to, to achieve that? Hell yeah. And like I said, would it have happened in Tampa? Would it have happened in Seattle? I don't know. But here in Chicago, I got lucky and I got to play with, what people say was the greatest defense of all time. Why did Don Kirsten not vote for you that year as the player of the year? Uh, I think he was, you know, he was infatuated with, uh, who knows, uh, Lawrence Taylor or somebody. You know, everybody's got their own perception. But, uh, you know, defensive tackle player of the year, That's you know, it's kind of uh, – Back 30 years ago, nobody, nobody paid much attention to defensive tackles like they do now. Everybody is like all uh, up in arms. Oh, what happened to Indomitian Sue? Blah blah blah. Indomitian Sue doesn't keep his pads down and he quits on blocks a lot. And you're not going to be dominant if you do that. I mean, there's no mystery. He ain't playing as hard as he once did. And all I can tell you is, uh, I'm flattered that people today really understand the game more, understand what a dominant, what I used to call a wrecker, a guy that could collapse the pocket, how much they, their, their value is in the NFL. And uh, I don't know. you got to ask Don. I, I, I'll just tell you this. Um, I have chided him over the years many times for it, and I really never got a great answer. So I don't know. Now, when you retired in 1990, did you ever envision that players would be able to make living off of having been a member of that 1985 team? No, and you know anything that that, that happens 
today or five years from now or ten years from now. It's it's great. You know, I've got, I've got two businesses here in town. Um, a lot of the guys that, that that played on that team, they have you know different things that, that they do, but the the, the spinoff, the residuals. The, the benefit of playing on that team, to be able to, you know, what, a couple of years ago we had a 25th anniversary. Nobody really made any money at it, but it was great to be a part of it. And the, the thing, it's not the money or the, the, you know, nobody really makes a living by being uh, one of the members of that team, but it is kind of cool that we still have a certain level of, of notoriety because of our association with the team. You know, you, you 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 look at what Mike Ditka has been able to do, and you know, I know he went and coached in New Orleans for a while. But I defy you to tell me a coach that's probably more well known in Japan or or Asia or Africa than Mike Ditka. And why did he coach somebody a year ago or ten years ago? No, it was what he did with that that organization, the Chicago Bears, back throughout the eighties and. I have to say it, it was, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, being, you know, validated. You uh, you're, you get to be, uh, you know, prompt king, you know, for a long time because a lot of people, and, you know, a lot of people in the media, they want to, they you know, ridicule that, you know, oh, everybody does it. No, you know, it's, it's not that. It's, it, the media it doesn't propel this or, or you know, uh, basically, you know, uh, propagate it. It's, it's the people of Chicago. They just absolutely loved that team at that time. And, you know, it was a, it was a great time to, to play for the Bears. Uh, you know, that, that team, uh, it's like uh, some people today, they're 60 years old, but they still think the Rolling Stones, you know, that was the deal because they said what they wanted to say or as a kid or as a young person, and now today they still – well, I think that team, um, in a vicarious way, people just said that's that's our team. That's the way – if I could build a team, that's the kind of team I'd build. And, you know, hey, well, nobody's fighting. We're just tickled to death that, you know, like I said, we had a chance to be a part of it. I could imagine a stat you would have put up because when you came in, you were a defensive end, then you moved to tackle, then you moved back to end. Did it drive you nuts because you never set position? Well, and see, I was a real pragmatist long ago, and when I went to, I was in the high school all star game. I was an offensive lineman, but Jimmy Johnson said no. I went him on defense, so I moved to defense. So I, I understand, you know, the old motto, the old credo. Hey. The more you can do to help the team, well, that's the whole thing. I, you know, I was drafted as a tackle. Al Harris was an in. Al hurt his knee. Tommy Hart, the old defensive end, hurt his knee. They moved me to defensive end, and boom, you know, I did pretty well. But Buddy kept saying, hey, as soon as Alan Page retires, we're moving your ass inside. And, you know, I kind of shake my head and say, no way, no way. I like it out here because – it, there's a lot, you know. There's a lot of uh, there's a hell of a lot of uh, uh, beatings going on inside. I mean, you got people flying around your legs. You're getting hit, double teamed. I kind of like being outside. You know, a lot of one on ones. But in, 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 
in the latter day, you got to just say, hey, I, I, I was the, the logical one to play that position. And so I did. And, you know, I really fit it. And I was a pretty good in. I made all pro and, and uh, you know, pro bowls. But I was a better defensive tackle. I was, I was pretty dominant inside. And it was good for our defense. And everybody, in a vicarious way, you know, was able to benefit from it. And that was great. And then, you know, in 85, they drafted Fridge. And after a while, they wanted Fridge to play. And so McMichael couldn't play in, but I could. So I was a logical guy to go back outside. And so I went back out to in. And then after a few years, you know, Fridge got me trouble and uh, got too heavy. And so by the end of the 88 season, they moved me back inside. And that's where I finished my career. So at the end of the day, I, it was wherever I could help, whatever I could do. And most of the guys on the defense, they all had that same attitude. Now, you, you made a reference to the Rolling Stones. Once upon a time, you were a multi-instrument star. <laughs> if, if, you hadn't, if you had stuck with that, do you think you end, would have ended up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame instead of the Pro Football Hall of Fame? <laughs> no, no, but I, I would have tried hard. I, I, I tell you, I, I like playing music more than football. Uh, I just, you know, it just, you know, it just, you know, every, everybody, you've heard the stories for years, you know. Uh, Toby Keith uh, couldn't play football, so he grabbed his guitar and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, voila, here he is. But I, I was in this house. Uh, I love playing, and and I still to this day, I've got a piano and guitars and stuff in my office, and I'll play from here from time to time. And once in a while, I'll play with my guys when I go back to Little Rock and and. You know, some of the guys in the Chicago Six, of course, Walt Payton was a drummer, but Otis and, and Sean Gale and uh, a couple of the, uh, the Black Hawk hockey guys, the guitar players, we always kind of, uh, you know, threatened to, to get back together again at some point. But next thing you know, I mean, it's uh, a year's gone by and, and time's flying. So we haven't had a chance. But I will tell you, I, I, I do – I do encourage everyone to get their kids to play an instrument of some sort. And it's been a great source of enjoyment to me and both of my kids. You know, they can play. But you weren't in the Super Bowl shuffle, though. See, Willie came to me and said, you got to be in it. You're the only one that can play an instrument. And, and I said, don't let that stop you. And it didn't. <laughs> but with the shuffle crew going, you know, going to the Super Bowl and – on one hand, I didn't mind for them to say it, but I couldn't say it because we had never been. And I was, you know, a lot of those guys, they were still in the second, third, fifth year. I, didn't, I think I was in my eighth year, seventh year. And I didn't want to jinx it. And I'm superstitious. And they wrote the part in from McMichael and offered it to him. And he said to me, why didn't he tell you? I said, you idiot, you're more superstitious than I am. What do you mean? You're even thinking about it? And he goes, you're right, I ain't doing it. And we kind of, you know, would mock those guys that did it. But I'm really happy they did. And when we used to laugh every time I see Fridge, I always start, you're looking at the Fridge. I'm the rookie. I made it. And, I, and he hated him. You know, it was a great source of, uh, of you know, uh, teasing and, and amusement to us. But it wasn't right for me. And it wasn't right for McMichael, you know. And I, I you know, and subsequent years would say, oh, somebody had to be the adult and you know, take care of playing, you know, on Sundays and not worried about the." But, you know, those guys, 
And, you know, it, it had a, a great little tune. It was catchy, clever little words. It made some money. Yeah, the guy was a, was a, was a damn thief and, uh, you know, took off with the cat. I don't know. All I'm saying is here, you know, almost 25 years plus later, we're the only ones that ever had a soundtrack to our season. And what's wrong with that, right? No, you're exactly right. I saw Otis Wilson's girlfriend one day, and she looks at me and says, Dave, don't start singing that song about Otis. Yeah, yeah, mama's boy Otis. And, you know, you'll be amazed. You know, I'll do a thing at a Jewel, or I'm at a car dealership, or, or this or that, and somebody else, they'll start saying, you know, singing some of those words. They, I, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's an amazing a uh, little piece of, uh, you know, urban legend or Americana that that thing, that, that little, that little video tune is still, you say, my buddy texted me two weekends ago. He was in Minnesota at a wedding. Now he's 50 years old at somebody's wedding and they were playing the Super Bowl shuffle. Now I'm like, get out of here. Oh my God, let it go. But hey, who am I to fight it? What was the transition like with the Bears from Neil Armstrong to Mike Dicker? Did it affect you that much? Was the defense sort of insulated with having Buddy as as the head of that? You know, at the time, you know, so much of the time when you're when you're in the middle of it and, and you, you're almost in a selfish way, you, you don't worry about everybody else. And in years subsequent, I, I look back and I feel bad for Neil Armstrong and some of the other guys on the offensive staff. You know, they, they, they were good people. It's just that it wasn't working. And our offense was in disarray. And the one reason that Buddy kept his, his, uh, his, his he and his assistant's uh, jobs was there's progress. You know, I think we started back then, it was 26 or 28 teams in the league and 28. And we started out the season like uh, 23rd or 25th. And by the end of the year, we're like 34th. And this is while, you know, the offense is turning it over, not scoring. And so, you know, I feel bad now, but at the time, I was pragmatic. I'm like, who gives us a better chance of winning? We're not winning now. These guys aren't doing what they have to do for us to win. Who can get? And so I did. It didn't bother me at the time. Like I said, years later, I, I, I felt bad. But I wanted to win. I had never won anything, and I, I I couldn't live with losing. You know, in Arkansas. See, when I was starting in high school, the team was horrible. Well, by the time I was senior, we we were, you know got in the playoffs, so I tur- helped turn it around. In college, when I went there, it wasn't very good. Well, by the end, hell, we were in the top five or ten of the nation, and I just well, I couldn't stand losing. And so when Dick came in, he he made some comments and made an awful lot of sense. He said, "Hey, I've been in, in a Super Bowl as a player. I've been as an assistant coach." And I know what is required. And he said, we got a lot of guys that gives, gives us a chance to be there, but we've got to make some changes. And, you know, he just said, we're going to have to work awful hard. And so, you know, that's no problem. Let's work. And I was, I, I, I've always been an optimist. I've always been a, a, a pragmatist. And it just seemed like a natural thing to do. I, you know, I went through a change in uh, college, and it was for the better. We became a better team, and I was – 
every indication that we would become better. And it didn't take long. And I'll tell you this. Everybody goes, what do you miss about playing? The money, the dealer cars, all the... No. I miss being in the room Saturday night before the games when Dicker would ask the waitress to please leave and close the door. And that's what I loved. And it didn't take long for me to understand. Even when, you know, the first two games we got beaten overtime. And he went nuts and Dicker punched the trunk and broke his hand and everybody laughs and mocks it. And I loved it. I'm like, this guy, I mean... He wants to win. I, nobody had ever punched a trunk before. We'd lost a hell of a lot of games. Nobody, nobody, in the first game, he probably breaks his hand. So I, I'm just saying, I, I welcomed it because I wanted to win. I couldn't live with losing. And to me, it gave us a better chance of winning. The one other thing about that season, and you're talking about the undefeated season, I presume. You know, over the years, we have all become so sickened by the Miami Dolphins and their nostalgia overload about their season. In a way, I'm glad we didn't go undefeated because everybody would really hate us the same. <laughs> I, you know, that season, it was it was like, uh, you know, you've seen these movies where the rock stars, they don't know what town they're in. They just keep going. They keep going. That was kind of the way it was. And, yeah, things didn't work out for us in Miami. But, you know, the one thing about it is, I mean, that wasn't uh, some expansion team. That coach is in the Hall of Fame. That that uh, quarterback, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, they they, they didn't get there by being dumbasses. They knew what they were doing. And, you know what, we, we played dumb. We, we did a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, as far as our preparation, as far as our game plan, as, lo- as far as our, our actual performance. And sometimes you don't deserve to win. That night we didn't deserve to win. Is it safe to say among Hall of Famers you are the the, uh, the leader with surgeries? I don't know. You know, I, every year, and again, you know, the, 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 there's so much media coverage today bunch of those old guys, you know, they tell me, oh, yeah, I had six shoulder operations. I had this, and nobody, I didn't know that. Uh, Mark Flores, I think, is probably uh, the uh, clubhouse leader right now. But I think I've had seven on each knee and then one replacement, so I'm, I'm at a smooth 15. And I've had a bunch of other operations on my fingers and, and you know, this and that. But um, it's, it's a... Uh, an unfortunate moniker, you know, being the surgery king or whatever. But, you know, I, I remember about 85, 86, uh, the doctor saying, hey, you know, you need to, you need to quit. And I, and I looked at him, and I, I, I could tell he thought I was nuts. But I said, no way, no way. You know, I loved it. I loved being on that team, and like I said, the, that Saturday night, you know, just what we're going to do, and the next day, we, we go out and do it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great things in, in my life today. You know, uh, my wife, my kids, uh, I get to play golf, I get to do this, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, that that place and time, you know, you can never recapture it, and it was, it was a great run. And there you have Dan Hampton, former Chicago Bear and Arkansas Razorback star. You are listening to Sports and Torts with David Spade and Elliot Harris. Stay tuned. <laughs> 